Welcome to devmo.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Michael Rogg from Build for Humans in Texas. Paul Elias, currently at PBS Kids Digital. And today we have on Evan Bacon, the Lord of Open Source. How you doing, Evan? Indeed. Thank you for getting my title right. Lord of Open Source. Man, I'm real, real excited to have you on. I mean, I never thought I would have the actual Kevin Bacon on. This is just amazing. Amazing. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Is that all you guys got? <laughs> Dang it, I really should have prepared more Kevin Bacon jokes. Yeah, okay. I'm sure I'm sure it's something you've never heard before. But anyway, yeah, I, yeah, I apologize. Oh my god. I had to do it. So Evan, anyway, let's let's get down to it. So the reason we have you on is we want to talk to you about a little something called Expo. If you were out in San Fermin at the running of the bulls in Pamplona and you're running, the bulls are chasing behind you, and some fellow person running next to you, he's got the the red handkerchief on and everything, he says, Hey, Evan, what is Expo anyway? Like, what would you tell him? Oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. Don't um, think too long because that bull's bearing down on you. It's 500 yeah, pounds I mean, of spike. I can't really run per se, but I'll try to like and picture it. So I guess. All right. Uh, yeah. Expo is like a, I thought you were building into like there was an app for this because Expo would be a prime candidate for <laughs> running with the bulls app that someone set up like a day prior. And oh, I don't, now I wouldn't want to look at to, like iOS, Android and web. I don't know if I'd want to look at a phone while I'm running from these beasts. man. But So what what is Expo though? Like I know what React Native is, at least to some extent. It's like it allows you to use React to build native apps somehow. But where does Expo fit into the, the piece of the puzzle there, you know? Yeah. So I like to think of React and React Native. I like to think of React Native kind of more like React DOM, you know, where it, it's it's closer to the, the runtime that you would use to write React for mm-hmm. a native platform. Whereas Expo is like a, a universal React platform that you can use to just write react code once and run it everywhere i think a, a lot of people have if you've used react heard of this concept of like yo you can run react there or there like on your toaster but it's not very clear how you use them together and how you, how you stitch it all together write it with one code base so expo lets you do all that there's a bunch of build services and there's like a client which works kind of like a browser but for native apps and it's something that you can use while you're developing to very quickly open your app without having to build the native part of your app onto your device. So there's a a lot of really good tools for making React Native development even better than it already is. So if we had to envision this kind of like a, you know, a sandwich or or layers of stuff, Expo is kind of a layer on top of React Native. Is that how it works? Uh, um, Or is it alongside or like, where does it, where does it go? Yeah. Well, so I guess Expo is the, the group, right? And then there's the Expo client, which is similar to the browser. I think a lot of people, when they see the React Native docs and it says, so to get started, download Expo, they're somewhat confused by that because it's, it's kind of like in the React docs or something where it'd be like, okay, so now you open this in Chrome. It, mm. it, it, that, that first part is like the client. And then we have a lot of SDKs because what we found was that, the, or pardon, I see about packages. We found that it's just like not very easy to build an app with everything that React Native was providing. So they didn't have things like the camera or the video or OpenGL. So we built a bunch of SDK components for that. And I would consider that a layer on top slash this 
kind of interwoven thing that you need to use with React Native. And then we have a bunch of services. So you got like this build service, which lets you build your app in the cloud using your developer credentials, which is really great because if you don't have a MacBook, if you're maybe in a a not American country, then it's a lot harder to get a MacBook. You're probably developing on a Windows computer and you can build your iOS app in the cloud with that. Or if you just don't want to stall your MacBook for 30 minutes while you wait for your app to build, you can use that as well. And I would consider that as kind of a different thing, but it's definitely very prevalent when you're making a React Native app. So I'm trying to visualize what this thing is and draw analogies from things that I know. Is it kind of like a... Yeah, I got Excalibur open right here. I'm just graphing it out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, is is it kind of like an IDE or a runtime and then also has libraries to interface with the native bits as well? Or like what? I'm I'm a little fuzzy on where Expo fits into the whole ecosystem. Yeah. So if you think about the the developers of Expo, so it started by uh, Charlie Cheever and James Eday, and they both uh, worked at Facebook. And then I like the core contributor of React Native for the longest time, Brent Batney, also works on Expo. So it's a lot of people, I think, who wanted to make React Native something that you could use for any kind of app. Uh, mm. Whereas initially React Native was very focused on being something for Facebook and like that you could use to build Facebook. And so built out just a lot of scaffolding to make it into a system that you could use for any kind of app. And now with the addition of web, a, a website as well. A constellation of, of things like there's an Expo emulator and an Expo SDK and an Expo framework thing. Yeah, yeah. And then in in that context, React Native is more like React DOM, where it's like this thing that you install and you use it for like core parts and use it as the runtime. But you need all these other things to actually build something like similar to like how you would use Next.js or Gatsby on the web. So I can use React Native without Expo, but I can't use Expo without React Native. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that'd be fair to say. But I probably wouldn't enjoy using React Native on its own, right? Because that's kind of, you've kind of built, well... You know. <laughs> well, it, it depends on how uh, how much you want to if you want to access the camera or file system or something like that. I don't know that how, how you want to how much you want to build on your own versus using provided SDKs for that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. And if so you want to like install and fiddle with Xcode and Android Studio, which I yeah, don't know who which in I've their done, right mind would. Yeah. I've done that. both of those. No, no, it's fine. It's go ahead. Come on, my podcast. Insult me. I've done both of these things. <laughs> And I don't, bl- I don't blame you for having that opinion of things because it is, you know, I mean, they're, they're doing some interesting stuff with Swift UI and that type of thing, but yeah, yeah I mean, Xcode update system is very interesting. Uh, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Like you look at yeah. some of this stuff, I saw them demo it. I'm like, Oh, sweet. <laughs> they're building yeah. react. You know? Yeah. How did they come up with that? That's crazy. <laughs> But it's really, it's really interesting, you know, me coming from a, an app background, and then I have been wanting to go full circle just to satisfy my, my morbidness, basically. Like I've wanted to build a native app using the newly acquired web skills that I have. So I've been talking to Paulo. Paulo has been my partner in crime. We've been kind of, kind of doing like skill swapping stuff. And so we were playing with Expo a couple of weeks ago, right, Paulo? And we decided that we we're going to build an Uno app, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the basic idea is that I play Uno with my kids and we wanted to build this app that would keep score and you got to keep a running score from like game to game and it's just you know it's like a stupid little project but i thought it would be really fun to build it and if i could build it where i could just click a button and it would be running on the web it would be running on my ios device and it would be running on an android device like i thought that was pretty wild uh yeah it's it's pretty pretty accurate 
From what I heard, no. Paulo got distracted, though. Yeah, so oh, Paulo, ruined, Paulo ruined everything. We would have been done with the app by now, but he had the nerve, the absolute nerve, to have a child. Like, how dare you, Paulo? Interrupt. Damn it. Nine months I mean, ago, I should have been thinking about this. Yeah. I mean, seriously, Paulo, no Paulo, means the no. The JavaScript Just... comes first. <laughs> it yeah. does. It does. Well, uh, there's a promise joke in there somewhere. <laughs> oh, but I'm not. I'll wait to sing. But I don't have it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. God. Something about promise.race and... But anyway, <laughs> resolved before the other. But, but anyway, we were building this thing, right, Paulo? And this you had used Expo before, mm-hmm. but this was the first time that you had used it to build a web target, right? So tell us uh, about your kind of reaction to that. Yeah, so I was using Expo to build out a React Native app at IDEO before I left. And I don't know if I wasn't paying attention or the React Native web sort of portion of it is maybe a, That's a newer new. addition. Okay, okay, cool. So we sort of noticed that there was this component of, you know, you can build a target to the web. So I was like, oh, you know, we'll try it out. And so this little sort of boilerplate project, we just a hello world type project. We built it and ran it, ran the build and, and loaded up in a web browser. I was like, oh, that's pretty freaking cool. So you can, you know, build a, a, a React Native app with the, you know, React Native primitives and they sort of translate over to the web fairly seamlessly. I don't know. Maybe we can get into it later to see how well they tra- translate to more sort of complex projects yeah. and use cases. But um, it was... I, it would save a ton of time. I could see when people need web and sort of native clients as well. It's super awesome for uh, if you're like working on the native app and you're, you've kind of just scaffolded out the UI and you want to just send it to someone because you don't need to go through like test flight. You don't need to figure out building it onto someone's device. You, you just have like a link and it's usable right away. Yeah. And this was something that, so pa- Paulo and I did a podcast on React Native a little while ago and I mentioned this before, but my when I knew nothing about React Native, I assumed that I could write my React code and it would run on Android and iOS and on the web. Like I, I thought that that would just work. And Paulo was yeah, just no, like, nah, bro. Yeah, Paulo was like, nah, bro, that doesn't work. But it sounds like with Expo, that actually can happen now? Yeah, so that's uh, actually what I work on full-time is the the web platform for Expo. Mm-hmm. And yep. I guess like a little background, React Native for Web was made by Nick Gallagher, who made like normalized CSS when he was at Twitter to build the Twitter Lite PWA, which is one of the best PWAs ever. And React Native Web is very refined. It can tree shake really well. It's got this super fast CSS and JS library, but it's pretty hard to use, I found. Mm. And so things that are missing is you need this complex webpack config and if you already have this metro bundler config which is going to get very technical but if you've got one bundler for native and you've got a different bundler for web and you kind of expect people to learn how to use webpack and set up all this it's just too difficult so mostly right. people didn't use web and mm. so what i did was i added it to expo cli and then you could just start up web using a, a very opinionated good webpack config which is very similar to cra's webpack config so let's say i know react you know maybe i'm not you know, the, the world's best React programmer, but I've at least done some stuff in React. Yeah, me either. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, how difficult is it to then start doing something in React Native? Is that a really difficult transition to do? To be honest, it is harder than it should be. It's not difficult, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, but it, it is. it should be much easier. So if you're like using an Expo app, for instance, right now, you could open it and start just writing React code. Like you could write div and p and all that, and it would only render to web, but you could still run it in the browser. 
And that is because the div and the P elements, like those don't render natively. So what you would do is you would just switch to using native uh, primitives, which have like a binding, a, a class, which you could then render on iOS, Android, and web. And you could use things like view and image and text. And so if you come at it from that perspective, where web is a lot more prominent, which is what I've been trying to do with Expo, then it makes it a lot easier for you to transition into React Native from React. Right. Because if we're used to writing components in React, or even just we're used to writing HTML, right? You could almost think of the, the paragraph tag as a component. Right. But I can't use paragraph on an iOS device because it doesn't know what the hell that is. So instead, right. you instead React Native came up with its own neutral primitives or neutral things. So instead of paragraph, you have text. So yeah. then you would you would build a, a text component and that on, on the web, I would imagine, ends up translating and maybe it translates into a paragraph. I, I don't know. But on iOS, it would translate into a web view. Or, sorry, right. a text view. <laughs> yeah. It not a web view. It, to a web view with a P yeah, inside no, of it. <laughs> no, 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 it. It would translate into a text view, which is an element that you can lay out in Interface Builder or whatever. And on Android, like, I don't know, I'm sure they've got some like analogous thing. Yeah, but the point is that React... Okay, so yeah, but the point is that there's this neutral standard in the middle that you build to that and then Expo and React Native apparently take care of translating that on each device and on the web. That's kind of how it works, right? Yeah, well, so React Native web isn't it's like an out of tree solution for React Native. So it's not necessarily, you don't get it out of the box when you use React Native. Uh, React Native is for iOS and Android. So it's more of like a, an expo thing is when mm -hmm. you're writing an expo app, you're getting this ability to run on web, iOS, and Android. But yeah, uh, so the primitive system is really nice, but after building out kind of and making it more user-friendly, I found that is missing a lot of kind of interesting web features that don't exist on native, like uh, mm. native links, like the anchor element where you can hover over it and you can you know copy link or like SEO. That's a big thing that really just doesn't exist on native, but it's a huge mm. part of web development. And uh, routing is another one which kind of ties into the links. And so I created a system of primitives which kind of sway the other way where they're more SEO and accessibility focused. And it's called HTML elements where you would import capital A element, and then you would use that capital A, and then that would render to an anchor element on web, and then just a text element on native that you could click and it would open a link, if that hmm. makes sense. Interesting. Well, I can definitely help you with the, the SEO stuff if you ever need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this sounds really promising because it sounds like the dream that I had originally, which was I can just write stuff in React and then I can build it on all these platforms. It sounds like Expo brings that closer to reality than anything else. Yeah, definitely closer than anything before it. And just with time, we've seen the primitives get more and more advanced. I don't know if you saw this auth session thing that I just built, which is it's like a universal primitive API for doing auth like logging into something and you just use one React hook. And then it works the same way across iOS, Android, and web because web utilizes window.open to create a pop-up, which is similar to on iOS and Android when you like open that modal with the web view in it. And so we were able to combine a bunch of universal primitives like crypto and that web browser functionality and then create this auth system, which you just write once and now you have Dropbox authentication on iOS, Android, and web. And it's again, just one hook and it's 100% code shared across all 
all of your platforms. All right. So I got to ask the question, Evan, for my Uno app, why don't I just build this thing in Swift UI? Like why, why would I do use <laughs> Expo to build this thing? Well, because, uh, you know, maybe you want people with Android phones to use it. Maybe you want to use it on your phone and Safari. Maybe you don't want to get your kids' devices set up on Test Suite. <laughs> maybe you don't want to provision your, your kids' devices to run with your Apple ID uh, and mm. then build it individually onto all of their phones. Oh, so you take care of a lot of the provisioning and all that kind of nonsense well, too? I, I just mean like um, if it's a website, you can just open it in Safari and in our build service, yeah, you can uh, provision devices automatically using your Apple credentials. So uh, it all just happens automatically using Fastlane with a node interface. That's really cool. I mean, it's been a while since I have developed a native iOS app, but I remember that actually the build chain part of it, getting everything signed, getting everything built and submitted and all, that was just a really giant. demoralizing. Yeah, yeah it was a giant pain in the ass. It's nuts. How what you have to Has go it gotten better? One of the reasons I started using Expo is because I was like, I don't want to do this for this small little little app just to get it to people to, to test out. So it was like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going this route now. Yeah. And that's actually, that's had a huge impact. I don't know if you guys have heard of this thing called the um, coronavirus. It's like this giant pandemic going on right now. I've never heard and, of it. What is it? Is it uh, it's probably the reason you're playing Uno every night. <laughs> <laughs> But it was really like a, a time sensitive thing. And so we saw mm. people just making tons of expo apps to help people just collect data regarding if you if you've come into contact with people and stuff like that. And this one that really shined was called How We Feel. And I didn't even know it was made with Expo at first. I just downloaded it because I saw it on Reddit. And yeah, I think it's sponsored by Pinterest. I could be wrong about that, but they were able to just, it's a very simple app. They got it stood up and out into production and it was immediately done. And I, I think that just wouldn't have happened if it was, if you were an using other native platforms where you would have, you know, go through the slow iteration cycle go through building and publishing. And you would also need to be pretty talented to get it out super fast. So Expo, that that speed that's introduced has kind of opened up a new world of like app possibilities where you can be the first responder to make something really important. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I would like to get your take on it, Evan. So I'm going to mention it again. My wife works for a large grocery store company and one she works on one of the apps that they have. And it's an app for uh, basically for creating or for picking up meals to go right from the from the grocery store. They they are building this app natively, right? So they've got an iOS team and they've got an Android team. And what is happening is that these teams are constantly... Is, uh, which one's your wife on? Neither one, because she, okay. she actually, her master's is computer graphic design. So she is kind of working oh, okay. with both teams, you know, to do all that <laughs> nice, kind of stuff. Nice. But she'll come home and she'll tell me stories about how the Android team is behind the iOS team or the iOS team is behind the Android team where I can't implement this here. I can't implement that there. And I was just looking at what they were doing, you know, the type of app that they were building. And it's it's relatively mm -hmm. simple. It's not yeah. anything that requires any kind of native compilation speed or anything like that. And I'm like, you totally should do this in React Native. You should give that a go. You should try to do that. Absolutely. And, I know, would actually go as far as to say Expo. <laughs> well, this was, this was before I even knew what Expo was, right? I was just like, no, React Native, like it's obvious that you should do that. And the reason you should do it is not, so this is a marketing driven app, really. So it's the marketing team 
team that needs to be able to iterate quickly on this thing. And they can't have it be that one is out of sync with the other. So being ha- being able to have just one code base would be advantageous, but not yes, just from a advantageous. super advantageous, right? But not just from a development point of view, but from a maintenance point of view, you know, like you're, you're going to be married to this code base for a long time. It's yeah. not just, you know, and so that, you know, they were talking about, well, we tried this before and it, it didn't work out well. Who knows? Maybe they used like Cordova or they used some kind of, who knows what they did. so fast too. Like Expo has gotten exponentially better, full puns intended, over the last year alone and it's completely different tool which so this stuff changes really fast well this must have been three or four years ago right so i don't even know what it was that they were using but my what i said to her was just because you were burned by fire once doesn't mean you shouldn't cook your food you know what i mean like there are useful applications to this technology and it depends on how well you do it so just that alone i was like this is the perfect case for doing something in something like react native or now expo then she comes to me and says well what they want to do is they want to add a web version of this this Ooh. app basically yeah so now they're going to spin up a third team evan to build mm-hmm. a totally separate code base in angular and and c sharp oh. <laughs> to build that and my head <laughs> as someone who's that one in react native like react native web th- that's mean, twitter's written in it that's exactly what i said is that what you should do is you should have them build this in react native web and then once you have the proof of concept and you have it working you can be like oh by the way if i click this button here's the android build and here's the ios build. right Exactly. That's exactly what, thank you. Thank you, Evan, for saying that, because that's exactly what I told her that she should do, is they should build it that way. But no, that's not what they're going to do. They're going to build a third code base in Angular and C Sharp. And at this point, my head is about to explode. As someone that has maintained cross-platform code bases before, I know how difficult it is, and it's just, it's horrendous. Then it gets even better. Okay. It gets gets better. (laughs) They want to add a kiosk, okay? The kiosk... (laughs) It's something that is going to be running on some kind of tablet or, or, or something or other. And so they're talking about maintaining a fourth code base for this thing that will run the kiosk stuff. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. Oh, like, man. is this not the perfect case for using Expo? Yeah, this is perfect, I think. And you also said something about it, it's not super compiler intensive or like it doesn't require native. You can do a lot of very intensive things with React Native now, especially with the, the Hermes engine on Android. I don't know if you saw this app that The Verge had tweeted about two days ago. It lets you you do this AR cut and paste. So you would point your camera yes. at like a soda can and then you point it and you would paste it. That was like, that was written with Expo. And that was not in the article at all. It was just, here is a awesome you know, sci-fi app and it's the latest and greatest, coolest thing. And it's, it's full, you know, complete expo code base. It uses four or five files to make the whole app run on the front end. Yeah. I, I did see that and that was amazing. But no, it's not that it couldn't be done. I was just, I made that comment because right. as far as apps go, this is not an app that needs to be close to the metal. It's essentially a glorified shopping cart to it some extent. It honestly needs to be closer to a PWA in a lot of ways because right. it needs to be like lightweight. It needs to be offline if you're going into a supermarket. 100%. And a lot of that plays really heavily into React Native Web because it was built to be PWA, this great PWA that could be used offline and stuff. So at the very least, they do have this somewhat separated in that there is a platform backend where all of the data is stored, right? So that's where all the API, all of the descriptions and images and all that stuff comes from. Gosh, could you imagine if people wrote their backends differently for their front ends? Oh, God. <laughs> 
<laughs> but so I mean that exists. But here's the funny thing: you're gonna you're gonna get a good facepalm out right. of this, right? <laughs> they use so they as a database. So I don't I don't even know what they're using. But the point is that there is a platform and an API that exists. So that logic and that stuff doesn't even have to be done in this app. So this app is basically a GUI that communicates with a backend. That's really all it is. So this mm-hmm. is not something that you need to develop using native oh, code. And yeah, they no, are it should constantly, all be like fetch commands and JavaScript because that plays 100%. way better into using promises and. And they are running into so many issues where they're like, oh, it's like simple stuff in terms of laying out of text. Like, oh, we can't oh, do man. this on Android. Oh, we can't do yeah. that on iOS. Oh, yeah, I forget and how it, good React Native is sometimes. <laughs> like you have Flexbox, you got like state updates. Oh, you, right. And oh, they don't man. have any of this. So, you know, and there are all sorts and, you know, just all sorts of nonsense with that. But the, the thing that's going to blow your mind is that, okay. you know, one <laughs> of the benefits of using an app or building it in an app like this is that you can use it offline, right? Apps are usually inherently offline and can work, you know, whether you've got internet or not. Well, all this thing, all this app does is it communicates with the, the back end. So if you don't have internet, you can't use it because it can't connect to the, the, the platform, the back end. So um, it really is a website. Exactly. It's a glorified web app. You know, that's all it is. But they wrote it with Objective C, right? Or what did they write it with? <sighs> Well, they're, so, they're something planning native, something not JavaScript. Yeah, they're writing it with Swift on iOS and Kotlin on Android. But it's just, oh my God, like it, when she comes home and talks to me about this, like my brain wants to explode because this is a perfect case for using something like Expo. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. It's hurting my head just thinking about it. Yeah, uh, it's, I can't it's imagine so easy. The, the budget they need for all these teams uh, to, to manage this whole thing and the infrastructure is just nuts. It's monstrous. It's monstrous, like their budget and they've got turnover. And uh, what do you think, Michael? Well, so what's going on in my head is I, I mean, I remember PhoneGap and Cordova and yeah. and um, these, these very well intentioned projects that they were that bad. It had, had this. <laughs> that had this this value premise, right, of we're going to yeah. write the code base once and mm. package it up and ship it off to all these different platforms. And that, to some extent, that worked and that enabled this A sort lot of, of apps are actually written with Cordova. I saw like on the sure. stat. So, so it works to some extent, but then, I mean, a lot of developers are walking around to this day with the sour taste in the back of our mouths where this utopian premise failed because the complexity of the cross-platform shipment just was it was too complex and the ecosystems were moving too fast and too independently for it to really deliver. And so what's going on in my head is, okay, well, how is it different now? I mean, how, how is right. Expo how is Expo not prone to the same platform independence and platform complexities that PhoneGap was. And I think that's what they're worried about, Michael. I think they they had a bad experience with who knows what technology it was. It probably was PhoneGap or Cordova. But also, let's be honest, Does I could that mean they're having can, great experiences with a, like Swift and Kotlin and they're just loving it. Well, they're definitely not, right? Because <laughs> but but in any event, the so you give me any technology and I can make you something horrible with it, right? So like, see, it doesn't matter what it is. I, I too have the skill, actually. Right. Well, okay. Well, you and I are going to have to compete because I, I bet I can out horrible <laughs> you. But in any um, event, it's on. My my point is, you know, it might not. It could in part be the technologies weren't that mature back then, but it could also just be like the the people who built it just didn't do a good job. You know, I mean that's a thing that happens, and I'm concerned that they are forever scared of using 
a technology like this because of that reason. So to, to Michael's point, Evan, tell us how Expo and React Native are different from using PhoneGap and Cordova and, and why is it not prone to the same problems we have with those? Yeah, I think the, the biggest difference, the most obvious one is that Cordova and PhoneGap were web views and you were running a web view and then exposing some native stuff to the web view. If you think about, I guess, conceptually, you want to get your location in a website, you do like navigator dot something and you would get the location. And then if you wanted custom native functionality, they would have a web view and then they would add functionality like navigator dot and then you could do purchases or something. And that just means that the view system was all rendered in as a web view and you're just prone to a lot of these issues. Whereas uh, React Native it is just everything binds to a native element. So if you make a text element, you're creating Creating a UI label, you can open it in Xcode and show the blowout view and you can see all the different views. It's very, I think, reminiscent at of just a really good framework, like a native framework. I think if you work on a large scale project, eventually you use some UI framework and then you like, you know, build it out and build it out and build it. I would consider React Native to be very similar to that, where it's mm. it's just, you know, it's like this toolkit that you have. But at any point you can drop down to Xcode, you could write your own native code, add it. You can, you're not limited to any, it's not this lock-in situation. You can mix React Native. In fact, that's one of the things that makes a lot of people use React Native over something like Flutter is because you can just add it progressively to your existing native app. Mm. Yeah. And it sounds like it's something that it also, if we have some kind of skill with JavaScript, let's be honest, learning React is not terrible. It's actually, it's, 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 I would, I would arguably say it's a uh, fun. I would arguably say it's fun too. My, my point is it's not, React is lightweight enough that it's not like it's, you're, you're not going to have to spend years learning it to get good yeah, at I know, it, right? Just try it over the week. You can open, so Expo has this thing called Snack. You go snack.expo.io in the browser and start writing a React Native app. No commitment. You just write it right there in the browser. You could link it to the Expo client. So there's, if you want to try it right now, it's extremely easy to do. Yeah, it's like CodePen for uh, native apps. What's yeah. it called? Snack? Yeah, snack.expo.io. And nice. it's got like a little web view in there. And you can download the Expo client and start just testing native code, which you can't do with Xcode. You know, it's a massive build or a massive yeah. like download. And you got to build it onto your device. And you need like a cord, connect to your phone. There's just like a lot of... <laughs> It's like a lot of little things which could bog you down, but React Native has none of those. Yeah, you know, I had my app fully developed. I had Xcode running and everything, but then it asked for a cord and I was just like, all right, that's it. Yeah. That's the like, last ah. straw. <laughs> Writing this all in iOS, Android, web. Yeah, oh, but man. the point... The point that I'm getting at here, though, is that getting up to speed with React isn't that bad. And then React Native is kind of using just some components that someone else has written, right? So instead of using, you know, using JSX and writing divs or whatever, you'll use text or you'll use whatever these kind of prefab components are. I mean, and you can get JSX. it up. It's still JSX. But my point is not like the, this, the switch from one to the other is not that big of a deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're if you're already doing it there, you just don't use div, you use this. You know what I mean? You don't use P, right. you use text. You know, that, if, that if type you're of in, thing. If you're in React world to begin with or view world or whatever, you're used to using components. So now your components are just a little bit more granular, like a little bit. Right. They feel closer to the metal, but, but it's still just components and you're used to using components that somebody else has made or named or whatever. The fun thing is you make people like Evan write the glue 
that makes these components work on every platform. I mean, that's that's how it works, right? Yeah, it's it's very, I mean, on, behind the scenes, it's just you, you use view and then that switches between a web view or an Android view and an iOS view. And then mm-hmm. the bundler, which is already set up, goes through and strips out the platforms that you're not using when you build it. So it's not super difficult to wrap your mind around how it, how it works under the hood, especially if you kind of understand how a React component works. But if you're using something like Expo, and you, you can just open Snack and then you can type like a div or a P, you can use all React DOM and slowly transition into React Native. There's the, the gradient to get onto it is much easier than uh, ever before. Now, I get that you've written glue that ends up mapping to native components. And that's what makes it very different from something like Cordova or PhoneGap, where everything was running in a web view. You are actually generating these actual native views or, or components on the respective device. The question I have, though, is what about the actual React code or the JavaScript? Is that running inside of like V8 engine or something on the phone? Or how does that execute? <laughs> you said you wanted to keep it basic. <laughs> <laughs> I changed my mind. We're taking we're, right. we're taking the slippery <laughs> we're taking the steps down to hell. Let's go. Yeah, this is so different from the the pre-show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so on Android, they're using a a new JavaScript engine developed by Facebook called Hermes, which is a bytecode engine. I want to say mm-hmm. I haven't played with it too much, but it's super fast and. Uh, yeah, you run that on the device. So essentially, when you start up the app, the first line of code in your, let's say your, your iOS app, you're going to have that first initialize function in the app delegate. That's going to get a URL, which is the URL to where your JavaScript bundle is hosted, very similar to a website. And then it's going to download that JavaScript, and then it's going to pass it to a JavaScript engine. And then that JavaScript engine will you know, run the JavaScript, and then it will bind it to the native views, and you can use native APIs and stuff with it. But I, I kind of cut and dry without all the hot module reloading and all the extra stuff. It really is just downloading a bundle from the internet and parsing it in a JavaScript engine. So that's really neat. And it, it handles multi-threading too, I would imagine, because you've got, you know, there's oh, yeah, a thing course. with JavaScript that all running on the main thread, but then can you have workers running or? I think people have tried to do stuff with workers, but I, I don't like Expo doesn't have any worker stuff. And usually when we have like a very baked out feature, it ends up in Expo. I mean, not like all the time, but all the native modules usually run on a different thread. So if I want to do something like image manipulation, I can run that in a separate thread and it doesn't block mm. my main JavaScript thread. So if I can keep touching buttons and having instant user feedback. Say something. That was one of the problems with PhoneGap in Cordova is it, you, you could, it, it just felt clunky and it didn't feel mm. native when you when you have a react native app side by side with a phone gap or cordova app it feels much more responsive and and native <laughs> yeah that makes sense i guess i didn't really think of that before i love the idea that we can use the superpowers that we have learned from doing web development and react and all that kind of stuff to build these ios or android apps because those are those have historically been the purview of very kind of insular communities you know i'm an and Android developer. I'm an iOS developer yeah. and they usually never stray outside of it. Like that's all that they do. Yeah. And and one of the funny things that we were talking about is that if you are a native app developer, something that has just never occurred to you is the idea of the size of your executable, right? Mm. <laughs> like the idea <laughs> yeah, no, of, of no, because you just don't, you don't like you're just building this native thing. But if you're a web developer, you're very conscious of things like the JavaScript bundle size and the size of the resources that you're downloading and all this stuff. And it and it makes a, a big difference. So it's really interesting to see that kind of translating over into the native world where you 
the expo actually does like tree shaking and stuff? Yeah, well, we do. So there's kind of the two components, right? You've got the native code that gets converted to the binary for the app. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can think of that kind of like if you built Chrome just to run your one website. And then you've God. got like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's how a native app works. And then you've got the, the bundle, which is that one website that it runs. And so uh, we do like all tree shaking on that bundle. And then for the native part, what we do is we ship the native code in the NPM module. So you would yarn install expo camera and then you would run pod install again or mpx pod dash install and then that would link up the native code from that module to your your ios app so you don't run into this area where you've got all of this code that you're not using because it's it's linked to the npm module so if you're going through and you're refining like oh i don't need this module i can just pull in these few things then it will also remove the native portion of that that it's using so in in some ways you are getting like a more efficient workflow uh, for building a native bundle that's smaller and again for a lot of apps like the one that i was discussing that my wife works with If you need a cross-platform code base, I mean, just the gains that you get by having a single code base and doing it in something like Expo are just astronomical. Like it's really hard to even, it's really hard to even quantify them, you know, because you don't ever have one team being out of sync with the other. You don't ever have something being implemented differently on one platform than on the other, you know, like you you just do it. And then the maintenance of that code in a single code base is is a wonderful thing as well. I'm wondering, Evan, like, can you answer me truthfully? When would I not use Expo and instead actually build a native Man, the the reasons used to be don't use Expo because you need some native feature, which isn't in the Expo SDK. But Mm -hmm. we've since changed that. So you can drop down. Essentially, it's create React app when you eject and you show your Webpack config. You can eject and it will show the iOS and Android project and you can add native code, write custom native code. And like, because you can add native code, you can add any native thing that you want. So there really is no reason to not use React Native unless you just don't like React Native. Um, Well, what if I needed something super close to the metal, like I needed to make a game and it really, the performance really mattered. Yeah, you just write it as like a native model. But you could still have React Native in your app Mm. to render the UI parts of your game. I guess the the threshold is set by how much of your app needs to be that close to the metal. Because if you have some common UI bits that aren't memory intensive, that that it would be nice to share cross-platform, then you build that bit in Expo and whatever it is that needs to be extremely performance optimized, then you build it native. And at some point that shared cross-platform bit might get thin enough that it's just not worth the overhead of, mm. of Expo to have any of the app shared. Like you might as well just build it all native. But I think that that threshold is moving as the tech yeah, evolves. And, and especially with something like Hermes, because, you know, like Andrew, you said, if you've lived in the, the native world, then a foreign concept might be caring about the size of your, your bundles or something. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. there is also sort of a, a flip corollary, which is if you've lived in the web world and not in the native world, you've never had to consider like the memory profile of the thing that you're mm-hmm. running because the browser takes care of it for you and probably the device is just so overpowered compared to whatever it is that you you needed to do and like maybe we play a little bit with understanding acceleration in, in graphics for for animations and stuff but but that is an area where where they're taking care of a lot with with Hermes with taking your your frequently compiled stuff and instead of doing it just in time like they're rendering it to machine code and 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 really optimizing for devices where the memory profile 
his mm-hmm. uh, is crucial. And so I think that's a corollary. Like if you've only ever developed websites, you've never really thought that close to the metal before. And mm-hmm. and maybe you don't even have to. Maybe the existence of Hermes just means that you, you skipped the, the, the stage in the technological evolution where you would have to care. And now, now we just automate all that away for you, which is pretty cool. Well, I'll cool. tell you, one, one way that I think apps are not that different from websites is that most of the apps that I've seen being developed, just like websites, are a struggle just to get it across the finish line, <laughs> like just to get it shipped and out there, as, as most websites are too, right, in terms of just getting the thing done and out there. An argument that I would hear in the past about reasons why you might want to do it natively is, well, we really need the native look and feel. You can capture that with React Native, especially with React Native Gesture Handler or Reanimated or uh, ExpertGL, which lets you run TensorFlow Lite or build video games and you have access to all this stuff now. Well, I'm just saying that's an argument that I've heard. And I'm sure that there are are ways. Yeah, I'm sure there are ways to do it. But then also a lot of the apps that I see being developed, like for instance, the the app that my wife's team is working on, there's not really a whole lot of actual native UI in there. It's actually UI that is specific to the company. Um, I hear so much of that where people are like, oh, but it won't be as perfect as it could be. And then they build the native app and they don't really write it as perfect as it could be either because it's well, hard or, and it doesn't need to be. Or the app is more like a glorified web view in that like I've looked at these apps and a lot of the shopping type apps, they, they have pictures and they have they don't even use like the native checkbox. They've got their own stylized checkbox. And I'm like, you're not even building a native UI. You're building your own branded custom UI. Right. And in that case, like something payments. Right. And in that case, something like Expo would be even better because then it will automatically translate across platforms. You won't be recreating it on each one. Yeah, definitely sharing components is something that like React Native has down pretty well. Yeah. And you can use things like Storybook too, like universally with uh, React Native. Storybook right. for the listeners who don't know, it lets you create this component library where you can go down and be like checkboxes and then it will render like all the different checkboxes in different states and then you can just play with them all there, which is a really nice way to test if you're making a change. You don't have to go to like every screen individually and remember where all the checkboxes are. Yeah, and yeah, it's it great it for much people. nicer to, to develop components in isolation, but also for people that are, you know, building out screens, you know, we're more junior developers, they can just copy paste the component code most of the time and, and work on the app too. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's a great tool. Yeah. Well, so, so I, I have a rabbit hole that, that I'm interested in. It's kind of out of left field, but so I spend a lot more time in Vue.js than I do in React. And there is a section of documentation around Vue Native <laughs> where you can use Expo for, <laughs> yeah. you know, to build your Vue Native project. So oh I'm, I'm curious what, you know, because we, we started the show and said, well, you, you can't use Expo without React Native. And I like cringed a little bit. I was like, eh, I think you can, but I'm yeah. curious how that integration works and what your experience has been using Expo with other non-React frameworks like Vue Native. So I haven't actually worked with Vue Native at all. I, I am aware, very aware of the fact that people are using Expo to do this Vue Native just because we'll get issues opened up on the dev tools. Ah, oh, this this breaks Vue Native and then we'll have to like make some change. But uh, yeah, I can't really speak too much to that. I haven't messed with it, but I think it's, it's I guess like not less your experience necessarily, down. but people's experience that you've seen. It seems like there's a lot of... I don't, like, speak uh, for the people, Evan. You are speaking <laughs> yes, for the yes, people. Sorry. Speak for the I'll people. <laughs> behalf of every every programmer out there that's I am Evan. I speak for the people. <laughs> 
Well, my fellow view developers, uh, <laughs> what they do, uh, oh man, I, I think like there's a lot of people doing it with hobby projects mm. and it, it works pretty well for those. But I think React Native really, sh- or like Expo really shines when it comes down to those areas that are pretty baked out, like this auth thing that I just built and things like that might be missing in view native. And then when you hit those, it's like, now you have to build it yourself and it, it, it can get difficult to do if you don't understand like how everything works. Yeah. I mean, my my opinion for you, Michael, and this is an uninformed opinion in that I have not done it, uh-huh. but <laughs> but just from looking at the technologies from the outside, I think that you would be better served doing one of two things. Either if you really want to do it in Vue, use native script or just learn React. Like, like a you know, hasty. <laughs> React is not a, a terribly difficult thing to, to use. If you already know Vue, you can learn React. Like it's really not that difficult. And in fact, you know, we had Paulo on here a while ago to talk about some stuff. And you and I, Paulo said something about Vue being more opinionated than React. And both you and I were just like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> it's the other way around, you know? And as I have delved more into React, like I understand what Paulo was saying now. And so what Paulo was saying was, you know, you don't have the concept of computed methods or data or any of this stuff. Like it's all just components and render functions and props, you know, and you can build whatever you want. I just, I worry whenever I hear about someone building a project on the path less traveled, it almost always ends up being really painful. Sure. And and to clarify, like I'm not afraid of React. I just specifically like working in Vue better, but it is also important to differentiate Vue from Vue Native because right. Vue Native is just a wrapper around React Native and it transpires to view native transpiles to react native and so it, there is a lot of compatibility there it's not like the view web versus react web dichotomy they do actually they're quite compatible so um, yeah, right. it makes, well, it makes well, sense yeah, that awesome. you Thanks can for, yeah yeah it, it makes sense that that you could could use expo to to build your all right michael uh, your, here's a stick and a canteen of water good luck venture out on that road less traveled like good luck get out there do your thing yeah i mean i'm curious because like every a lot of stuff that that i've messed around with with view native has been through electron or through node web and and i really am interested in this graduating to a level of evolution where it's not just a web view anymore Mm -hmm. like that is that is very attractive right Um, but perhaps without abandoning quite all of the tooling that i have come to be familiar with all right so michael brings up a really interesting point, Evan. So Evan, when can we get rid of Electron and we can just use Expo to develop a desktop app for Mac OS and iOS, uh, or sorry, and Windows and Linux? Well, um, Do you have an announcement re- you would like to make today? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to announce uh, <laughs> that I will not be sleeping for the next few weeks. Uh, <laughs> in my React Day Berlin talk, I kind of showed off how you could use Electron with Expo Web just because it's mm-hmm. like a React website, so it's really just mm-hmm. about configuring it properly. So that is possible. It's not super big out and Electron's pretty good. It's not too bad. I use VS Code every day and I love it. And I also use Slack every day. I love it less, but not because of the performance or anything. Right. Um, <laughs> and I guess Electron was part of, I'm probably speaking way out of turn, but I think it was like part of GitHub. And so when it was acquired by Microsoft, they moved it into Microsoft and they continue to develop it. But they also work on developing React native Windows. And now there's with Catalyst where you can run iOS code on Mac OS. I think like we'll be seeing a lot more just people using like React Native iOS to build Mac OS apps. So it's not too far-fetched. I mean, we'll work towards it eventually, but it's not something I'm like super focused on right now. I think web is like a more interesting platform to target. Well, I would agree with you for sure. 
And but the only reason I mention it is that, you know, it seems kind of arbitrary that we've got this layer of glue for native services and native components on iOS. Why don't we have like in theory, you could do the same thing for Mac OS, right? Yeah, in you theory. can do it for any platform. Um, yeah, I actually I, I experimented with building React Native for CLIs. So you could build you could say view and then view would like render a, a box and then you could click and drag that box around it kind of like a blessed but oh my God. just like with react yeah in, no. in terminal like, yeah in terminal it's awesome you are just evil what are you doing <laughs> i'm that's awesome down people's computers oh that's well beautiful. Just, just like uh with mac os uh, we just don't have enough time to work on it like uh, right it's but in theory like I, but it's interesting to me that that is the focus and i guess it makes sense right because you have these websites and mobile devices came out and everyone wants an app so it makes sense that you would want to then target apps i've just always been have been surprised that another target that, like a lot of effort has not been expended to making a Mac OS target or a Windows target but I guess it's just so much work and why why it's, replicate yeah, it? it it's a lot of work and I think people have worked on it but it just it requires a some like group like Microsoft or Expo to come in and just kind of grind on it until like all of the little bits have been worked out and it's easy to use. Actually, a couple of days ago, the React Native team at Microsoft announced that they're adding support for Mac OS 2. Mm. Yeah, it's super exciting. So it's it's coming. That's yeah. very cool. And this makes me feel kind of bad though. Like Evan, I, I saw that really awesome example you had where people could virtually cut and paste, take a picture of something and then paste it onto their desktop computer using their phone. Yeah. And I, I saw that demo. I'm like, oh, that's sweet. And then I'm thinking about, oh, Oh, I can't wait until I show Evan how you can keep score on an Uno app. You know, like, I'm just like, <laughs> no, no, I love all apps uh, equally. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. I'm just looking at. I'm like, oh man, the scale of what I'm doing here is just really. It's kind of sad. Really, Paul. In a lot of ways, your Uno thing might be just as complex. I mean, the 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 AR cut and paste law that happened in the back end using like TensorFlow Lite, which I guess could also have been run in the front end, but eh, it, it just wasn't. So I mean, it's just like some native functionality and then a server. I just assumed it was magic personally when I saw it. Yeah, like some kind and then of a lot of magic. magic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can yarn install that if you use like Deno or something. But Paulo, as someone who has used Expo in the past, you've got you got Evan here who's on the core team. You got anything you want to ask him about, about Expo? Well, we've covered a lot of cool stuff. One thing I wanted to get a better idea of now that web is a target is there are times where you have to target iOS or Android Android during you know building your app. Do you have to do anything special to target web versus iOS versus Android when you're using certain features that aren't available in, in the platform that you're you're building your apps for? Yeah, so the bundler looks for platform extensions. And if you do, for instance, file.ios.ts or file.android.ts, uh, okay. then it will resolve to those files. So you could have Android-specific code and one or iOS, which, uh, for instance, like a big feature that I added with Expo Web was the ability to use it very seamlessly with Next.js because a lot of people wanted to server-side render their code. But Next.js isn't universal. It's just a web platform. So you need to kind of do a lot. Like you can share your components. You can share the screen navigation, all the back. But you can't really share like the routing or a lot of like the SSR-related things. And so I think a lot of that comes out when you just try to get really into the weeds of building a website that mm -hmm. Is very SSR focused, although SPAs are also indexed by Google, so it's it's not like a deal breaker. I don't think. Right. Yeah, I'm really curious about this routing that is it that you're working on or has been recently released. Um, uh, you were mentioning earlier the routing. Are you oh, able to use like yeah, a link? HTML within? elements. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a yarn ad expo slash HTML elements. It's also react native HTML elements and you can just import. I actually wrote a, a Babel plugin for it, which is super niche. I don't think, I don't think people should really use it, but you could, <laughs> you could use the Babel plugin. And then you, if you import the, the package, you could just write lowercase P and lowercase a, and then the Babel plugin would convert it to the proper expo HTML element, which would then be universal. Of course, <laughs> oh, cool. it is not the same as a P and an A element right. because you have things like on layout, resize observer type things that React Native has, but it kind of is a similar syntax. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really but cool. But again, I recommend not using it. I need to learn more <laughs> about this stuff. You just recommended not using it. <laughs> and it sounds really I fun. Mean, use it for fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a fun thing. I, I could see someone making a, a website where you just drop in your HTML and it converts it to React Native code. Well, it's like when I t- tell my kids, you know, don't touch it, it's going to burn you. And they're like, of course they touch it. Eh, and, and we're not going to feel bad for you when it blows up in your face, Paulo. <laughs> Hey, uh, I, yeah, but, I could actually legit see something like that being useful in a transitionary way. Yeah. Uh, like I forget what it was with, with jQuery grading from jQuery 2 to jQuery 3 and the APIs weren't the same, but you could pop in this little polyfill thing and while you were transition, like it helped you transition and up, yeah. upwrite your, your code from one API to the other. And I could kind of see if you are a web person and you're trying to convert a web thing into a React Native thing, then having this tool that makes it work right away, but can also maybe tell you where you're still using the old stuff um, would be right. Right. would be pretty cool. Yeah, that, I kind of built it for that reason. So like if you were a React developer, React Native would be a lot less scary and you could just kind of ease your way into it. But then also certain parts of it are very important when you're building a universal app, like the anchor element, because it has proper types and does all this good switching out and then the headers for SEO and stuff like that. The problem is I just didn't, it, it would require lots of documentation and lots of issue answering to be like, I know it's confusing. It doesn't work exactly the same. Not all features work the same across iOS, Android, and web. But so that's the only reason I would recommend just using it at your own precaution, I guess. In other words, don't at him, Paulo, when something goes wrong. (laughs) I mean, you can at me. I just, I'll just laugh though. You might ignore (laughs) it. I get it. I get it. So Evan, I got to say, in preparing to talk to you about this, I did a little peeking around and my kids were around when I was doing it. And I was trying to tell them that you do some really cool development stuff on Expo and React Native and everything. And they, they just, they didn't care about any of that. For some reason, I don't know. The the main thing I do. Yeah. Well, they don't care about that, but they saw that you're a master Lego builder and they're like, that's the other thing that I do. They're like, whoa, like they think you're a god now. They saw some of the the sculptures that you've done of various Marvel superheroes and DC superheroes and stuff like that. And and they want your your autograph. Is that a thing we could get? Could we make that happen? I could only autograph it as open source god, but not as Lego god. Ah, bummer. Yeah. Bummer. But yeah, I, I used to do like a lot of this, the Lego stuff. I'd still do it now if I have more time. I, I've been meaning to build some some new stuff lately. But yeah, it's a, it's a fun kind of hobby. Well, you know what I told them though? I said he still builds stuff, but he just uses more complicated blocks now, which is kind of true, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. When I did Lego stuff, I only used two different types of Lego bricks, unless it was a face or something, because I just I thought it was easier to work within those boundaries. But yeah, and now it, everything is it, way more complicated. Well, and now when you're doing React Native and Expo development, now you use three different kinds of blocks, right? So you're <laughs> ramping it up. Right? 
<laughs> yeah, now now it's just three different types until someone's like, well, did you know you could actually change it all by affecting the bundler? It's like, why don't you change the runtime? And I'm like, uh. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you'd like to have every episode delivered to your favorite player, you can subscribe via RSS or find us on iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help others find the show. You can follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. For the Dev Mode Dead FM podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Michael Rogg. I'm Paul Elias. And thank you, Evan Bacon, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much again for having me. I guess you guys can follow me at Bacon Bricks on Twitter if you're interested in more of this stuff. Yeah, and we will definitely put that and more stuff in the show notes. probably just like what the hell is he talking about i actually played the the song footloose but i don't think anyone else heard it i uh, did like a, a kevin bacon song is that when i made the dumb yeah when, when i made the stupid kevin bacon joke i was playing footloose in the background <laughs> gosh gosh damn it uh, as long as we can hear it on the uh on the episode that'll be fine and, I, and it's so original and i'm sure it's the first time you've ever heard it that i you know i had to no one's that. gone to such lengths to play the Footloose song while also making the joke. So I appreciate that. All right. Well, I'm going to edit it in just for that.